Welcome to Shi'ar Jeshub, featuring Pastor Greg Scalzo of Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle in Madison, Connecticut. Today, we will be continuing a sermon in the Heavenly Authority series from the book of 2 Samuel on the last words of King David. Pastor is in chapter 23, and we have seen God's word to David. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. When we left off, Pastor Greg was in verse 5, where David confesses, Although my house is not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. We're not the way we should be. God has proclaimed how we should be, and we're not that way yet. He's made a covenant, a contract, an everlasting contract. And we study that contract. We'll just read a couple of words of it again uh, back in chapter 7 and verse 11. Because David desired a house for God. He said in the second part of verse 11, Also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed, your offspring after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom, the seed, forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. So as Jesus takes the position of mankind, the sinner, as he goes into that water of baptism and John says, uh, I should be baptized by you. And Jesus says, let it be so for all righteousness. And the Levitical priest lays hands on the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus goes into that water and associates, even though he's sinless, with sinful mankind. He takes that upon himself on that cross, the rod of men and the blows of the sons of men. In verse 15, But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever. Before you, your throne shall be established forever. Again, the eternal, forever, everlasting contract. This eternal covenant, we go back to chapter 23 and verse 5. Even though David is not the just one, even though his house is not the just one, there's this contract that there will be a just one, a seed who will be a son of God that will come from David and yet will be on this throne, will be on this eternal throne forever. And this covenant, this everlasting covenant, is ordered in all things and secure, in everything, in all creation. This is the plan of God laid from the foundation of the world. It's secure. Nothing is going to change it. And what is this plan? This covenant for David's house? This son of David? David says, for this is all my salvation. It will bring salvation even to David. That's why Jesus said, how does David call the descendant of David Lord? Why does he say, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? this one that comes from David, who the covenant of which, the contract in him, has been ordered in all things. All creation is set about 
for this contract. This one is my salvation, David said. He will bring salvation to David, and David says, and all my desire. David desires it with all his heart. Just like he desired a house for God, well, now there will be a house, not a temple made with the hands of man. That'll happen. But a true house in Jesus Christ. And David foresees it. This contract that's made in the seed of David as his salvation, and it's his overwhelming desire. So we see David as a frail man, as a sinful man, as a man that has caused a lot of trouble. And then we see David as an anointed leader, the word of God coming through him. And the one thing about David, he desires what's right in the end. He wants what's right. My house, although my house is not so with God, we don't fulfill this requirement. We've sinned. He desires it. So it's not based upon our being so good, but rather desiring the one who is so good. Because if you receive a righteous man, you receive the righteous man's reward. David knows he's not righteous, but he longs, he looks forward to the contract for the righteous one to come. And will he not make it increase? Will he not make this contract, this covenant increase? Because he's promised it. God has secured it. God has promised it. God will fulfill it in himself. The logos, the plan, the, that which is ordered in all things. And that promise of the just one fulfills very much verse 4. He shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth, by clear shining after the rain. Messiah, the just one, will truly fulfill verse 4. And you have that image that makes us think this time of year of the Easter, the resurrection, right? The sun rising, the clear, the, the day without clouds. You have Friday where the, the sky is dark, and then you have Sunday, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after the rain. That's what the just one will be. It speaks about resurrection, about light, when the true just one comes, and God will make it increase. And in Messiah then, you can have just rulers, just leaders. Really, only in him can any human be that which we should be in the position that God calls us to be. Whatever the office God has given you, whatever the ministry God has given you, we only can fulfill it. We only can be just in the just one. We only can fulfill verse 4 as we rule in fear of God and stay in Christ Jesus, the only one who is truly just. But not all so desire. In verse 6 it says, But the sons of rebellion shall be as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. There are those who never desire. See, David has said, we are not so, we are not just. But I desire it with all my heart. All my desire is for this just one, this salvation, this contract God has given. I'm not just, but I desire justice. I'm not right, 
but I desire righteousness. We can't do it, but one God will send by contract. It's ordained, it will happen, and he can, and I desire it. But there are those that even after they're presented with the fact that they're not just and that God will send the just one and they're presented with Jesus Christ, there are those that are sons of rebellion. They're sons of rebellion who never, never desire justice and never, never desire righteousness. And so if they don't really want what's right and they don't really want what's just, they will never really want the just and righteous one. And you can talk all day long about Jesus Christ, but it means a change. It means doing what's right, and they don't want to hear it. And they will not, with any real enthusiasm, turn to him. They're the rebels. They're the ones that David sings about in Psalm 2 when he says, Why do the nations rage? And the people plot a vain and empty thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh the Lord and against his anointed, his anointed, his Messiah, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Isn't that the attitude of Satan, the rebel, to go against the Lord God Almighty and to go against Jesus Christ? Rebellion a lack of desire of justice and righteousness. To think he can take over, and it's vain. And David sings, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath, and distress them in his deep displeasure, saying, Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. And then the decree of the Lord you are my son, today I have begotten you. And ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. God has established his king, and you have these who rebel. They're like the devil and his angels. Even after being presented, they have no such desire for righteousness. And David, inspired by the Spirit, compares them to thorns. You know, the thorns on Jesus' head. Thorns that should be thrust away. They're not good for anything but to be cast into the fire, burned with fire in their place, a place prepared for them, the place prepared for Satan and his angels, his demons. They're of no value. They hurt. They prick. They look to harm. And he says, because they cannot be taken with hands, but the man who touches them must be armed. Literally, that's filled with iron. If you're going to touch them, you have to be filled with iron, armed with iron and the shaft of the spear. And you, you see the guy all clothed with iron taking the shaft of the spear and kind of flicking these thorns into the fire so he doesn't get himself pricked. They have a lot of power. And when you have these demons, these rebellious demons, and when you have people that serve them. Really, you can get hurt by them. The only way not to get hurt in the service of God is to be armed, to be filled with iron. God's people must be like the angels, the holy angels, solid iron when it comes to dealing with evil. 
Because the evil looks to kill and to steal and to destroy, to hurt, to prick, to poke, to injure. And we have to be tough. You say I and you think about tough, hard. We need a toughness about us to be able to bind up the demons, to flick those thorns into the fire, and to be successful against the sons of rebellion. And of course, you know the New Testament, Paul elaborates on that, inspired by the Holy Spirit, when he speaks in Ephesians chapter 6 about wearing the what? The whole armor of God. To take your place and stand in the evil day against all these spiritual forces of evil, the wickedness in the heavenly realms. And then it goes on to name David's, in chapter 23, mighty men. And it's something that follows this verse here because it's important for all Christians, and especially those, again, in leadership, to be armed, to be filled with iron, to be able to flick the evil demons away because they're going to come after God's people. Just the way you have the physical picture in the Old Testament, the Philistines and the Amorites and all those nations come against Israel, and they're not satisfied until Israel is destroyed. They want Israel destroyed because they want God stopped. They're sons of rebellion. And as they hate God and have no fear for him, they hate his people. And so it requires to be filled with iron. And so appropriately, he then names these mighty men, men that are filled with iron. Thank you for listening today. Pastor Greg Scalzo's sermon has been brought to you by the Church Fellowship of Shear Jeshub Christian Tabernacle in Madison, Connecticut.